Today, I want to invite you to go to Psalms 46. We can look at Psalms 46 and we can look at a topic when life gets overwhelming. Okay, let's go to Psalms 46. Now, while you're searching for the Psalm and you're going to it, um, I just want you to know that um, you let's be faithful to continue reaching out to the people that we have written their names down and all that. Uh, I've been working on it and this coming Friday, I'm going to be meeting with one of those that uh, I'm reaching out to and I'm going to give him that little card that we have for Christmas and then trusting that the, the Lord will just uh, open his heart uh, to those things. So if you are ready, uh, we're going to Psalms 46. I want to read for you this, uh, the entire psalm. This is Psalms 46, I read from verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters foam and rage and foam, and and the mountains quake with their surgings. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her and she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts His voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations He has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear, and He burns the shoes with fire. And He says, be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted amongst the nation, and I'll be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. Lord, I pray this morning that you will speak to us. Lord, may the words written so long ago become life to us this morning. And as we go through your word, may your word go through us and encourage us, lift up our hearts to know that we serve a God who is always with us, a God who is for us and not against us. We serve a God who is unshakable. And despite the circumstances of life, we know that you are here. And Lord, we look to you this morning and invite you to come and minister to your servant. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody say, Amen, Amen. Psalms 46 is a psalm that is written in a time of great stress. Now, if you look into the context of it, it's actually written in a season of trouble in the life of the psalmist. The big idea or the theme of this entire psalm is found in its very first verse. And the first verse describes what the big idea is. And it it reads like this, Psalms 46.1. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. The word trouble is the Hebrew word which is very interesting and the word literally means distress. See, and God is our ever-present help in distress. And this word in its original Hebrew is the word sar, which means narrow or tight. Uh, it's the, the, the beautiful word pictures, you know, it's, it means narrow, tight. And it's also rooted in the word for stone. 
something hard. And so when you think about it, the word trouble literally means this. It means to be restricted, to be tied up in a narrow, tight place. Can you get the picture now? No, our God is an ever-present help in times of trouble, in times when we feel like we are restricted, we are tied up into a narrow, tight spot. It's like what we would say in, Norman, uh, in, in our nomenclature, we would say, trapped between a rock and a hard place. Have you ever heard that before? There are days when we feel like we are pressed against the wall, you are trapped between a rock and a hard place. And this is exactly what the psalmist is saying. And this is exactly how he felt in Psalms 46. He felt like he was trapped between a rock and a hard place. He's in a tight spot, a stressful situation, pressed on all sides, squeezed between a rock and a hard place. And in times like this, brothers and sisters, I'm sure all of us have been in spots like that, whether in our workplace or in our home or in, in normal relationships and in normal circumstances of life. There are moments when we feel like we are trapped. And in times like this, when life seems overwhelming, remember that God is our refuge and our strength. He is our ever-present help. And the word refuge, He is our refuge and our strength. The word refuge is a Hebrew word which means shelter. God is our shelter. So it gives you this picture. You are trapped in a, you are in a tight spot. So what do you do? You run to your shelter. And this shelter is a covering for you from the rain, from the storm, from the danger, whatever it may be. And this word shelter actually comes from a root word which means under the shadow of. Okay, so when you're under the shadow of the shelter, when you're under the shadow, then, then what? It covers you, it protects you. So you get the idea that I can put my trust in this thing because it is covering me. So the picture you get is when we are in trouble, don't forget this, we run to God who is our shelter, our refuge. He's the one who watches over us and then He becomes our strength. And the word strength, he is my, he is my um, shelter and my strength. And that word strength in the Hebrew is a word which refers to God as our firm, secure, fortified tower that provides protection. So when the psalmist says that God is our refuge and strength, what he's literally saying is that we are running to a God who is our firm and fortified tower. Okay, we are coming under His protection. We are putting our trust in Him. So you get that picture now, right? God is our strength. He, God is our refuge in times of trouble. Now, having declared this, you know, the psalmist began by declaring that as a theological statement of faith. And then he goes on now to describe three life situations that can overwhelm us. Okay, or increase our stress levels. And each of these um, circumstances, and he will describe three situations. And these three, they are all punctuated by a word in the Hebrew called sila. I don't know if you read your old, especially the older translation, you always see this word, S-E-L-A-H, sila, sila, sila. And in, if you, you don't find it in your English translation, but in the original Hebrew, you have these three silas that are there. Okay, and you'll actually find them uh, where you find them at the end of um, at the end of verse three. You see a word sila, and then after that, at the end of verse six, 
you find the word sila, and then at the end of verse 11, uh, uh, at the end of verse uh, 7, and the verse 11, you find sila. So three silas altogether. And these three silas, they, they kind of give us a clue to the interpretation of this uh, psalm. Okay, and the word sila, you see S-E-L-A-H, actually I think in, in the Hebrew world, it means a musical interlude. So it's like a song, right? You, you, got, you got different stanzas in a song. And so when you come to the... And at the point where you see the word sila, it's very lightly, the, the psalmist is playing music and then it is transitioning to the next stanza. But in the midst of that, they are waiting on God and allowing God to speak to us. Even as they're sung to God, God sometimes sing back to them. So you get the word sila. And each situation, and because of this musical interlude, they, they kind of a, there's a break. And that provides us the clue to his interpretation. Now, in, the, in times of worship, as we are in the presence of God, in a time of trouble, the psalmist um, wrote these songs and then he had those musical interlude and then he talks about three situations where we can experience God in the midst of stress. Okay, so let me outline for you what those, there are three godly responses we need to have in times of stress, when we are in, in times of very tight, difficult situation. And here they are. The three situations are this. Number one, when we are threatened, don't fear, but trust in the Lord. When we are threatened, don't fear, but trust in God. Look at verse two and three now. Now, after he declared that statement, God is our refuge, our strength, okay, in times of trouble, then he go on to say this, therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Now, you notice the psalmist here is describing a state of chaos, Okay, when you see all those things that earth giving way, mountains falling, it's a state of chaos and circumstances that can bring a lot of threat and stress to all of us. Now, these are things that can happen in a fallen world that we are living in, right? Today, we don't live in a perfect world. We live in a fallen world. And we live in a fallen world where all kinds of sicknesses, disease, natural disasters, unforeseen circumstances can happen to us. Right, just think about it. We have just lived through something that happens once in a century. We just lived through a pandemic that, by the way, refuses to go away. Okay. It refuses to go away. Just when we thought that we had one wave under control, another one will come. And just when we thought we have figured out one variant, another one will evolve. It is absolutely threatening. How many of you agree? Okay, I know now you treat it like a flu, not so threatening, but it is absolutely threatening. And what should we do? And in times like this, my friends, we must not fear, but we must trust in the Lord. Some, how many of you say amen to that, yeah? We cannot fear, we will trust in the Lord. Now, interestingly, you know, Martin Luther, the great reformer, he wrote um, a famous hymn. The hymn goes like this. A mighty fortress is our God. How many of you heard that before? A mighty fortress is our God. It's an old hymn that Methodist Lutheran churches sing like crazy in the early days. And it's all based... And by the way, you know, this song was actually written based on Psalms 46. And what is interesting for me to find out is that when Luther wrote that hymn, he actually wrote it shortly after the bubonic plague, you know, which 
was a, a plague that hit his city of Wittenberg in, in Germany during his days. And by the way, that plague, if you talk about a serious plague, that plague killed 200 million people worldwide. 200 million worldwide. It's a huge plague. And Martin Luther at that time was quite a young man, a young minister. He had a wife called Catherine and she was pregnant. And at that time, the, Lut the Lutheran churches were getting all their ministers and pastors and all that out of the city so that they could run away and not be hit by the plague. He wanted them out of Wittenberg. But Martin Luther, together with his pregnant wife, Catherine, chose to stay back in the city so that they could minister to the sick and the dying that were in the city. And in the midst of doing that, God preserved him and his family and kept them safe. And he survived that, came out on top of it, and out of that inspiration and reading Psalms 46, he wrote that famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Why? It's based on this. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. When threatened, don't fear, trust in God. Okay, I, 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 I remember this story. I, I love telling this story. There's a, a Korean, during the Korean War, there was one platoon of Korean soldiers that were, came under ambush and many of them, when the ambush happened, many of them managed to scramble into the, into the safety of the foxhole, except one guy that was wounded. He was so critically wounded, he couldn't move. So he was out there in the, in the, in the open field. And they were all fighting this battle. And immediately when the officer saw that this guy was wounded, he turned to a young soldier next to him and said, hey, go get him. And the young soldier said, yes, sir, look at his watch. And he didn't move. And then the, after a while, the officer turned to him and said, go get him. Say, yes, sir, look at his watch. And he didn't move again. After a few more minutes, the officer got so fed up, turned to him and said, I said, go get him, go. And he said, yes, sir, look at his watch. Not his head, rushed out, managed to put a guy to safety. At the end of that whole battle, when everything settled down, the officer turned to this guy, called this young soldier up and said, I can't understand you. What are you doing? You mean you need to pick a time to go and, and save your friend? And the young man said, yeah, actually it's true, sir, because I'm waiting for three o'clock because I know that at three o'clock, my mother in Korea will be praying for me. And that's the best time to go. <laughs> and how many of you agree? That's true. There is no safer place than in the, in the presence of God. There is no safer place than in a place of prayer. And this is exactly what it is. And, and what the psalmist is saying to us is this, our true security, my friends, is found in God. We will not fear because God is my refuge and my strength and ever-present help in trouble. Situation number one, when you are threatened by whatever circumstance life can bring us, don't fear, but trust. Here's number two. Now it's not just a threat. When you are attacked, don't be shaken, but stand firm. When attacked, when you're really under it now, now it's not just a perceived thing, but it has become real. Now you're under attack. Don't be shaken, but stand firm. In the next segment from verse 4 to 7, the psalmist talk about attacks that can come upon us, not through nature, but through human nature. 
Okay, can I say it again? You look at the next portion from verse 4 all the way to verse 7, you find that now the psalmist is talking about um, things that can come upon us, not through nature, but through human nature. He's now describing wars and attacks that can come from the outside. You look at verse 6, he says he's talking about nations being in uproar, kingdoms are falling. You think about what's happening in the world that we live in today, right? How many of you agree? This world that we live in today is not always friendly. Not everyone is friendly. You just think about what's happening. Russia, Ukraine, there's war going on and it goes on. What's happening in the Middle East, in Israel and Hamas and all of that, it's still going on. And every single day, people are dying. People are under attack. People are, there are missiles flying everywhere. And beyond the physical, now those of us who don't live in war-torn nation, we are also in a war, but our war is not physical. Ours is an ideological war. We are engaged in an ideological war today. There are so many social issues. Now, gender, identity, racism, atheism, Marxist ideologies, pro-right, pro-left issues, all of that. And all of those things pitches the biblical worldview against the worldviews of the world. And like it or not, my friends, we are all engaged in an, in an ideological war that attacks and assaults our biblical foundation. Our children, every single day when they go to school, they are under this war. There is a huge ideological war. And this war is first waged on social media. And then it gets into the public square. And now it is getting into our families because even families are divided over such issues. Yeah? And you're so quiet, eh? Uh, you got to tell me if I'm okay, you know? Say amen or something. <laughs> and it's true. But this war is being waged all the time. And personally, I think we all face situations where conflicts and fights can happen. And sometimes, human nature, people end up, even if it's not a huge thing, whether it's, uh, war-torn nation or ideological wars, even personal relationship, we get into fights. And, and we, we, we get all this kind of thing that sometimes even within families, we get attacked. And in times like this, don't be shaken, but stand firm. The Apostle James kind of described, make it real for us in a personal setting, you know, in James chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. I love this passage where well, James talked about people fighting and it's very real. These things are real. Take a look at this. James 4, right? Verse 1 to 3. And then I'd like you to notice what is one word that keeps repeating itself here. It goes like this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they get... Don't they come from your desires that battles within you? And you want something and don't get it. You kill and you cover, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel, you fight, you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask for the wrong motive that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You know what? what what's one word that keeps coming up? That actually is the root problem that causes everybody to fight all the time. You know what it is? It's a little word, you. A little pronoun, you, yourself, you know, your. In three verses, three short verses, you know how many times it come, came up? 16 times. 16 times it came up 
in three short verses. People fight and attack one another primarily because of what? Self. Self-preservation, you know, self-centeredness is all that. That's the problem with human nature. We end up fighting. Why? Because it's all about me. It's all about myself. And people end up fighting. And in times like this, and my challenge to all of us, don't be shaken. You know, don't see what's happening around in, in, in people's lives. Don't see what's happening around, uh, even within church and all that. And then we get disillusioned. Don't, don't, don't. Don't be shaken. Stand firm because God has never shifted. Human nature can, can fall and all that, but God has never moved. You know, I, I, did I ever tell you this story? There was a guy who was traveling on a train, you know, and so he happened to be sharing the same coach uh, as two other ladies. So they're all sitting, and it's turning out to be a terrible experience for him. And the reason is because these two ladies just cannot stop fighting. One, the lady sitting next to the window insists that the window need to be open or else she will die of heat stroke. And then the lady sitting next to her said, no, the window must be closed because if not, I will have pneumonia. I'm feeling a little bit sick. And so they were opening and closing, opening, closing, opening, closing. And all this was going on and they could not reconcile themselves. Finally, the ticket master had to come and try and solve it. So the ticket master was trying to get the ladies to compromise and all of that. In the end, he couldn't work it out. So in desperation, he turned to this guy in the, in the coach right, and asked him, what do you think? This guy said, I tell you what I think. First, you close the window, you kill the first one. And then you open the window, you kill the second one. And then I'll have some peace finally. <laughs> What's my point? <laughs> my point is this. That's the problem. Everybody is self-centered. Everybody wants what they want. And this is the cause of all the fights and quarters that goes on. So I hope you catch this. And, and, and listen what the, what the way James put it, they said, what causes fights and quarters amongst you? Don't they come from your desires that battles within you? Interesting, you know, this word desire in the original, in the Greek, is the word hedonon, from where we get the, the word hedonism. What's hedonism? It's basically the philosophy that the pursuit of personal pleasure is paramount in life. So if everybody makes self-centeredness their way of life, then I tell you, even something as sacred as prayer can become corrupted. Because now, when, you, when all you have at the center of everything is yourself, even prayer gets defiled. Because now when we pray, we only pray to get what we want for ourselves. And the whole thing collapses. And what is true in the individual level, it's also true in the corporate, national, international level. So people attack one another at home, in the office, in the school. Nations rise against nations, kingdoms against kingdoms. And all these things happen. But in times like this, the psalmist says, we will not be shaken, but we will stand firm. And look at verse 5. Listen to how he puts it. He says, God is within her. And that's why she will not be shaken. God will help her at break of day. Why? Because God is our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in trouble. Brothers and sisters, whatever you may be going through today, whatever conflicts, whatever, you know, it was happening in your, in your own life and you find that you're under attack, whether it's in the workplace, at home, 
in the situations, I want you to know this, God is your refuge and your strength. And you, He is your ever-present help in trouble. So don't be shaken, but stand firm. I leave you one last thing. When you're troubled, don't stress, but learn to rest. Learn to rest in the Lord. Look at verse 8 and 9 now. Now the psalmist begin to shift gears a little bit. And then he begins to say this. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations He has brought on the earth. He make war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear, and He burns the shield with fire. So he's kind of almost painting now a picture that in the midst of all this trouble, God is going to bring an end. He's going to bring everything to an even kill. See, and when the psalmist wrote these words, you need to understand, he actually has an eschatological application to it. Now, what I mean is this. He's actually inviting all of us to see the works of the Lord, not now, but in the end times. He's actually talking about the end when everything is wrapped up, you know. He's actually giving us a picture of what is it like in the end because in the end, my friends, wars, God will cause all wars to cease and He will be exalted above the earth. And how many of you know that's not going to happen here? It's going to happen at the end. Okay, like it or not, whatever we may do, I don't think there will be world peace. <laughs> The world peace will only come when the Prince of Peace comes back again. When Jesus comes back again. Try as we would, you know, UN, whatever. It's not going to bring world peace. I don't think it's ever going to happen. This war that goes on in the Middle East, it's not going to end. It's one form or another, I think. And it will only end when Jesus comes back again. And so when the psalmist wrote these words, when he says, I cause all wars to cease, actually he's, and I'll be exalted over the earth, he's actually pointing us to the end. But in the meantime, there will be trouble on earth. Some of us are going through it right now. Others of us are anticipating tough situations coming up. For some of us here, the fight may already be over. You know, and the loss is experienced, the damage is done. But the feelings of loss and regret may linger. But in times like this, the psalmist reminds us, God is still with us. We will not strive, we are not stressed, but we learn to rest in Him. And the psalmist exalts us in times of trouble. Steal our noisy hearts. Allow the Holy Spirit to whisper, verse 10, into our, into our spirit. And verse 10 goes like this, Be still and know that I am God. We live in a world where there will be trouble. But in, our hope is in the end when God will cause all things to be perfect. But in the meantime, we can have trouble. But in the midst of that trouble, remember this, be still and know that I am God. You know, whenever we read this verse, right? Be still and know that I am God. What comes to your mind? Be still and know that I'm God. You know what I see? New Zealand. <laughs> you know? Wow, snow-capped mountain, steel lakes, you know? Wow, be still and know that I'm God. You know, but especially uh, when we sing the song, you know, they go and take that verse and they put it into a beautiful song. Be still and know that 
God, wow, New Zealand come to my mind. <laughs> but when you read the context of Psalms 46, it's nothing like New Zealand, right? What do you see? Mountains falling, earth giving way, waters roaring, hills shaking, nations rising, kingdoms falling. Sounds more like Ukraine than New Zealand, you know? But in the midst of all that turmoil, the psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. This stillness, this shalom that you and I can experience is not based on external circumstances. It's really based on the condition of our heart. I want to be still and know that I am God. It is based and rooted in this. God is my refuge and my strength, my ever-present help in times of trouble. John Whittier, you know, the, the old hymnist, wrote this beautiful hymn that goes like this. Drop thy still dews of quietness till all my striving cease. Take from my life the strain and stress and let my ordered lives confess the beauty of your peace. Drop your still dews of quietness. And that's why it's so important that we all take time to be in God's presence day by day. That's why your devotional life is so critical because it is in those moments when we are in connect, when we're connecting with God, communing with Him, we allow Him to drop His still deals of quietness till all of our strivings cease. You know, let, take from our life the strain, the stress, and let, his order, let my ordered life confess the beauty of your peace. It is in the stillness of God we regain perspective, realign our hearts, and we recalibrate our inner compass day by day. Why? Rooted in one thing. God is my refuge and strength, our ever-present help in trouble. Be still and know that I am God. The word still beautiful word, Rafa, which literally means sink down. It means to let go. It means to relax. <laughs> literally, you know, be relaxed and know that He is God. And until we learn to let go and let God take control, we may never understand and know God as our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in trouble. So here are the key lessons from the psalmist. In times of stress, when life seems overwhelming or gets overwhelming, number one, we must don't fear, but trust. Don't be shaken, stand firm. Don't, don't crush under the, under the stress, but learn to rest in Him. But what is the thread that kind of links all three responses together and make it possible for us to actually come to this place in our heart where we, are, where we trust and we stand firm and we rest in Him? I think the theological anchor in this entire psalm is really found in verse 4. Why are we able, in the midst of all that, you know, to still stay in that place of stillness? I think the answer is found in verse 4. Look, take a look at verse 4 now. The psalmist says, in the midst of all the things that he's describing, he says this, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her and that's why she will not fall. He talks about there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Who's, what's the city of God? Jerusalem, right? There is a river that makes glad 
Jerusalem and the holy place where the Most High dwells. That's where the temple is. God is within her. She will not fall. Actually, this is very surprising. The reason is because Jerusalem, by the way, is the only ancient city that does not have a great river that flows through it. I mean, Egypt got the Nile, you know, and, and other cities have got their, their rivers. You know, but... Jerusalem, by the way, is landlocked, you know. You don't see a river. You only see a small, dirty stream called Jordan River. <laughs> that's, a, that, that's it. There's no great river that flows through it. So what is talking about here? I think it is speaking symbolically of the divine presence of God, which is the source of all life. It brings us back to last week, right? Until they entered the sentry of God. See, it brings us back to this. And His presence flows out from where? In the Old Testament, the presence flows out of His temple in Jerusalem. Between the wings of the shadow bean, the glory of God is, and the river flows out from there. And it brings life to the city of God. But today, where is the temple of God? Where's the temple of God today? Within us, exactly. You see, right here, within every one of us, there is a river that flows from us. Every one of us. See, and our bodies have become a temple of the Holy Spirit. And this is where the presence of God dwells. And this is actually, when you read Psalms um, 46.4, it is actually pointing prophetically to Jesus Christ. It reminds us of the indwelling Holy Spirit that all of us have today. And if we know that we know God is within us, then we will not fear but we will trust. We will not fall, but we will stand. We will not strive, but we will rest in Him. And when the stresses of life piles up like a mountain, we stand firm. Okay? And we are secure because our eyes are upon Him. Our faith in Him, our trust is anchored in Jesus Christ. This is the river that flows from within us. And oftentimes when things get difficult, we don't look to the presence within. We look everywhere else. When actually, there is a river that flows from us. The divine presence of God is actually with us. And that's why we can have faith. Uh, by the way, faith is not faith in our faith. Huh? It's faith in the presence of God that's with us. Faith in the Jesus that is in us. It is faith in Jesus and some of us may say, but pastor, my faith is very small. But don't worry, it is not faith in faith. It's not how big your faith is, but it is faith in a big God. And this big God now dwells in us. It's not the extent of, our, of your faith. It's the essence of your faith. Our faith is not in ourselves, in, in the faith that we have. And how big my faith is? No, my faith is in God. And what God says my faith is in His Word. It is not how much faith, but faith in what? It's faith in Christ and faith in the promises of God. So if you put your faith in a big God, then you don't have to carry your faith, but your faith will carry you. See? And small faith can do big things if it is placed in a big God. That's why Jesus said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. It's not how big your faith is, but my faith is put in a big, big God. Big God, small problem. Small God, big problem. 
So you put your faith in a big, big God, then we got problem. You see, you get the point? We must keep coming back to the presence of this big God who dwells within us. And I challenge you, my, my friends, please keep your eyes on Him. Put your faith in Him. We run to the river of God whose streams make glad the city of God. We run to the holy place where the Most High dwells and we know that we know we will not be shaken. The Holy Spirit this morning, I believe, is reminding us, lift up your eyes and fix it on Jesus, the altar and the finisher of your faith. You see? And He's reminding us, keep your eyes fixed on Him. Hebrews 6, and I will end with this and then we'll pray. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11 to 12 has this beautiful verse that goes like this. It says in Hebrews 6, verse 11 and 12, and we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realised. We do not want you to become lazy but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. I like that. We do not want, we want each of you show the same diligence at the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realised. We don't want you to become lazy but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Whatever God has promised us in His Word, you need two things to inherit it. What is it? What are they? Faith. Don't need to have big faith. Just little faith in a big God. Okay? Faith. The other is patience. The reason is because between the time you pray and you believe until the time you see the breakthrough, there is a period in between. That period in between is a, is a trial of faith. It's where our faith is tested. It's where in that period of waiting, that's why I say last week, right, the hardest room to be in is God's waiting room. In this period of waiting, that is when we are being transformed. In that period of waiting, we are being changed. Hudson Taylor, who went through so much in his ministry, once said this. He said, it does not matter how great the pressure is. What really matters is where the pressure lies, whether it comes between me and God or whether it presses me nearer to His heart. You see, we all go through pressures in life, difficult situations. The question is this, does those pressure that come pull us away from God or does it bring, push us nearer to Him? That's the main thing, you see. And the question is, it's not, what, is the, what is the pressures of life doing to us? Is it driving us further from God or is it driving us towards God? And I think that's why God allows challenges and stressful situations in life. He allows those trials of faith to actually push us nearer to His heart. Uh, many of us would want to be delivered quickly, you know. I, I just want to get out of this quickly. I just want to extricate myself from this situation. But I think God has a big agenda for us. And that agenda is really to transform us through the pressures of life. We are being transformed. 
to the trials and difficulties I go through, I am being pressed nearer to God. I become more dependent on Him. Warren Wisby, the famous expositor, put it this way. He says, before God changed our circumstance, and I think God do want to change our circumstance, but before God changed our circumstance, He first wants to change our hearts. If our circumstance change for the better, but we remain the same, then we will become worse. But God's purpose in providence is not to make us comfortable, but to make us conformable. Conformable to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. So Christ-likeness becomes the eternal goal for each of us. So my challenge to every one of us here is this. We may be going through our trial right now. We may be going through stressful situations. You could be under, you feel like you're under attack, you know, from, from many, 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 many uh, um, forces, whether at work and your personal life and all that. But remember this, in the midst of all that, trust the Lord. In the midst of all that, don't be shaken. And in the midst of all that, recognize that God has a greater agenda, which is to transform us. And may our cry also be, as Warren Wisby says, to be like Jesus at the end. That through whatever I go through, I turn out to be like Him. You know the old song we sing? To be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, all I ask to be like Him. All through life's journey from earth to glory, all I ask is to be like Him. That in the midst of all that, we become like Christ. And the psalmist ends, therefore, his wonderful psalm with verse 11. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And that's why we don't fear, but we trust. We will not be shaken, but stand firm. We will not stress, but we learn to rest. Be still and know that He is God. And in the end, God's biggest agenda is that through the trials we go through, through difficult times we go through, we put our faith in Him. And as a result, we are transformed. Through faith and patience, we inherit the promises of God. Allow me to pray and then we're going to worship the Lord together and then we allow God to minister to us. In this season, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to minister to us. And so, allow me to pray. Father, I pray this morning that You will come and speak to us. Encourage us, lift up our faith. There are brothers and sisters here who are going through very difficult times. I pray that You will Come and be our comfort this morning. Lord, we come to church Sunday after Sunday, not just to learn what your word says, but to allow you to encounter us and for us to encounter you. Lord, we want to experience you, your power, your goodness. And I pray that this morning you come, meet your people at a point of their need. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.